Welcome to Clinical Appraisal, a podcast about nursing science with a focus on methodology. I'm your host, Ian Lane. All opinions shared are my own, and none of this information constitutes medical or nursing advice. This podcast is for educational purposes only. If you would like to make a donation in support of my efforts to continue this show, please visit paypal.me forward slash clinical appraisal. If you would like to ask a question or share a comment, please email me at clinicalappraisal at gmail.com. I've been getting a lot of questions in my inbox, which has been lovely. And I've corresponded with some people um, from across the globe, and I've had some nice conversations, but I haven't had the time or the bandwidth to really do like another Ask Me Anything style episode. So I've I've got um, a kind of a growing compendium of really interesting questions. I have a long list of questions that have to do with things that I almost would prefer not to discuss on the podcast just by virtue of their like, I don't know, they're, they're not like necessarily best suited for this particular show, but would make for interesting conversation one-to-one, if that makes some sense. Um, but I wanted to do a brief episode on one question I got, which has become incredibly salient, particularly because I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Jacqueline Fawcett this week, um, Thursday. And I'm very much looking forward to that episode. And as I think about what makes me excited to speak with Jacqueline, ignoring the fact that she is a genius, I really want to understand her viewpoint as a living legend in nursing um, and, and kind of get a sense as to what she views as being the critical overlap between how nursing theory applies to our research in nursing science and then how that can inform our practice and kind of this, uh, I think it's called in the literature, a theory-driven research and practice. And it might have even been Dr. Fawcett's uh, coining of those terms that has brought that about. But I got an interesting question, which framed from this perspective has become quite salient. And this individual asked, they did not give me permission to use their name. Um, They didn't explicitly uh, denounce it. They just didn't mention that I could, so I will refrain. Um, But if you are listening, you know who you are. I have had... um, Several people pose this question, or pose this question rather, in slightly different variations. But this has become a the way that this person formulated this question is important to me because of some of the things that I have said myself on the podcast. So the way they framed it was: I have in my, uh, especially in my recent episodes, have made claims such as if you have almost 4 million people in the profession and you know 92% of them disagree with your theory in some important way, what are the odds that 
they're all wrong and you are correct, right? Um, and, and I stand by that. I think that that's just a, there's a truism there that like, if, I mean, it is possible that you are simply an extraordinary mind, that you, that your theory is just so brilliant that none of us peasants can quite understand. We can't wrap our heads around your, your ideas, but that's not the way that you should think about things. Like the odds that you are the Einstein of nursing is probably not good. Those odds are probably extraordinarily small. And not that they don't exist. I mean, there, <laughs> there have been our versions of uh, those genius in our field. Um, Hildegard Peplau, Virginia Henderson, um, there are a number of them. Betty Newman, there are a number of them. Um, Sister Callista Roy, who have been just uh, fabulous, fabulous thinkers and just extraordinary minds. But what are the odds that your theory is just so profound that virtually no one in the field can get on board because they just don't understand because <laughs> they're not that sophisticated? Personally, I think if you believe that, it says something about your Unfortunately, it says something about your level of narcissism, which might be something you should take a look at. But I think more importantly, it's almost delusional. Like, you can't go around assuming that you're such a special person in your thinking that there couldn't possibly be a large number of people that would get on board and agree if they understood you. Now, it might be the case that some people just don't quite understand because maybe you need to refine your theory because maybe it is genius, and maybe you've just communicated it poorly. And there's a science communication element of educating about your theory. That could be. And that's a better hypothesis than, I'm so brilliant, nobody else can get me, you know? Now, I'm, this is a bit of a caricature, and I don't mean to be unfair, because most people in this space do not believe that they are just so special and unique that nobody can understand them. Generally speaking, people tend to have, especially in our field, a good amount of humility about their work. But going back to what I was saying, what is the point of my bringing this up um, in relation to what I have said? So this person's question was, given that you've made these comments, how can you still be such a proponent of nursing theory? broadly. Like, why does nursing theory matter to you, given that you also hold this belief that most people don't find it valuable? Now, that's a really interesting question, because it forces me to examine this idea of the mass um, kind of, this, this might be a weird way to frame it, but a mass exodus away from uh, theoretical nursing to kind of a more I hesitate to say pragmatic because that's actually a misuse of the term philosophically, but, but for all intents and purposes, a kind of pragmatic nursing practice that is devoid of a more traditional theoretical approach or a theoretical underpinning. Given that, I think most people have moved in that direction in the field, and if you ask most people, they will say some, some uh, version of something ranging from the rather benign, like, I just don't find it very interesting, to the um, more extreme, 
I think it's useless, and I wish I didn't have those classes. Um, and there's a whole continuum of gradations of viewpoints in that that space. Um, and we all know people who think something along that line. I mean, some people love nursing theory, and I would say I'm in the camp of people who love nursing theory, but but really want it to be refined to something that hits home for people. I want to take the pieces of the theoretical that resonate and find what links them together and extract out the core element of what makes nursing theory nursing theory, assuming that's possible. And I actually don't know if it is possible. Um, in the same way that if you look at psychological theorists across the last several hundred years, you get, you know, people... Uh, from Freud all the way up to modern-day theorists like Aaron Beck and others, and you get vastly different theoretical bases for the profession, but they all have some merit. And some of them seem almost like impossible to align with each other, Um, which, again, may or may not be true. I don't actually know. But I'm I'm not sure if it's possible is what I'm saying, but I would like to try, because I think it's important. But it, it goes back to this person's question. Why? Why is it important? Why can I hold this view that your theory is probably wrong if most people disagree with it, but then say, but even though most people disagree with nursing theory, it's probably right that we ought to hold it close to our hearts? I actually think that's a brilliant question, because it forces me to examine a possible contradiction. Now, I don't actually think it's a contradiction, and I'll explain why. Hopefully I won't ramble too much, but I would like to talk about why I think people prematurely kind of askew nursing theory. And I think, just so that I don't lose the plot, um, I want to put out there that I think that the real issue is that the teaching around nursing theory. So in... Schools of nursing, and I I should say as well, there are people across the globe. Um, So I know we have a lot of listeners from the UK. There's a gentleman from the UK, Gary Rolfie, who I have uh, profound respect for. There was um, one of my listeners has sent me some of Gary Rolfie's work, and I had never read his work. And um, it's, in a a kind of a sense, it's been a game changer. Um, I think Dr. Rolfie's work is profound and in very important. Um, and Rolfie doesn't get a lot of attention, but he's been a prolific writer and theorist and a philosopher of nursing for, I mean, a number of decades and has, uh, a lar- has amassed a large number of important publications in the field. And so only <laughs> a few theorists across the world, like, you know, Peggy Chin and, um, you know, people who really live in this sort of world of philosophy a lot of whom are at retirement age now, by the way, um, really know who he is. And so a lot of people don't get exposure to some of the more contemporary theorists. But um, point being, there are theorists across the globe, and uh, but the ones I'm going to think about, just because it's more readily accessible to me, are those across the United States. Um, and so I apologize for those of you listening from other parts of the world, but, but I'm sure that it, this, to some degree, will... Um, will be applicable in your own uh, your own sphere of influence as well, to some degree, um, at least I hope. So there are, there are 
nurse theorists and educators and researchers and academicians across the United States who focus on theory, but they're a tiny, tiny, tiny minority. So you get the Carol Polifronis and the Cheryl Becks and the um, Peggy Chins. I just named three people that were at the University of Connecticut, but then you also have the um, Jacqueline Fawcett's at UMass Boston. You have you have individuals at Case Western Reserve, uh, the Francis Bolton School of Nursing, who are doing nursing theory. Very, very profound work there. Um, you have people that are integrating nursing theory into their research at different places across the country. Um, in And, you know, they're not all in the, uh, the coastal states either, on either the West or the East Coast. There are people in the Midwest doing good work in nursing theory, but they're a small group, right? But there are hundreds and, and hundreds of nursing schools across the country, and all of them teach nursing theory to their undergraduates and to their PhD students. Now, and hopefully they'll have some derivative version of teaching that to their um, graduate professional students too, like DNPs. Um, but, but we'll save that for a different, a different chat. Um, so you have these places across the country that teach, but you know, what are the odds that you're going to be an undergraduate student in a class for somebody who is teaching that is themselves a theorist, that is a profound thinker, that loves theory, as compared to somebody who rolled the dice and got the short straw and ended up having to teach that course, and they don't have a passion for it, and they stand up and they put up their sort of bland PowerPoint slides. And um, I should take this moment to say that I have a, a, a couple professors who don't consider themselves nursing theorists, but have had um, really nice lectures about nursing theory. And so I am not speaking to you for the record, <laughs> but we all know those courses where that's true, where you get a somebody who's tr drawn the sh um, who has drawn the short straw and ends up trying to provide students with this lecture that's monotone and bland and lacks vivaciousness and lacks life. And there's something missing and it's the passion for the, for the discipline. I mean, you can also say maybe they don't have as much information, but like maybe they have the bare bones basic. If, like, let me put it in a different way, right? Um, my undergraduate studies were in psychology and neuroscience. And um, when I was taking the intro to psychology course, I remember I despised that class, hated it. And the reason I loathed that class so much is because <clears throat> I had to learn about uh, Alfred Adler and Sigmund Freud, and I had to learn about, um, you know, Erickson and <laughs> the developmental theorists. And then there were, of course, the experimental psychologists and like, you know, B.F. Skinner and the um, behaviorists. And the reason I hated it was not because I dis disliked the theoretical predicate of the field. It's because it was taught in such a bland and boring way. And what I ended up doing, I don't even remember how I got to this point where I decided I should do this, but what I ended up doing was exploring the original thinkers' work themselves. So I actually looked up and read um, uh, Freud's books on dreams. I read um, some of uh, Erickson's original writings, although it's hard to find much of them, but I've read um, Alfred Adler, I've read 
uh, Carl Rogers. I've read a bunch of these different thinkers. And one of the things that stands out to me is when I read Piaget. So in nursing, we've all had to do developmental uh, psychology in one form or another, usually in human growth and development across the lifespan. And it makes sense because actually it becomes very important, particularly for pediatric nurses, but that's not necessarily true. There's a reason that they have us do human growth and development across the lifespan and not just child development, because a lot of us deal with growing older adults. And there are still developmental periods, although they're spaced out differently across older adulthood. And those individuals still have to be understood by their care providers as well. And um, it is, you know, almost exclusively the domain of nurse um, of nurses, and um, there are some other specialties that focus on developmental periods, like psychiatry and things like this in medicine. But but largely, the focus on development has been a nursing specific element of care for for many decades. But when we are taught Jean Piaget in undergrad, in prep, or well wherever you do your pre-nursing requirements, whether it's in the nursing program or whether it's pre-nursing, however you have gone about your trajectory. When you learn about Jean Piaget, you learn that he develops the cognitive stages of development, or rather the four stages of cognitive development. And that's true. He has, you know, built those sort of stages through um, through his observations and his writings. But that's the least of what Jean Piaget has done. And the only reason I found that out was because I went to try to read Jean Piaget. Now, Piaget was possibly one of the most difficult things I've read, at least at that point in my career. And I was shocked and appalled after I read Piaget, not because of anything about Piaget so much as the way he is taught to us completely omits his genius. You get taught this, like, snippet, this tiny snippet of who he is. But you miss the grander scheme of how he thinks and how he arrived at those conclusions. And you miss all of the bread and butter of of what Piaget believes. And, you know, some of his uh, theories haven't been borne out by the empirical experimental evidence, but it doesn't matter because um, that's not really the point. The point is, the, the man, so, you know, this is actually uh, a, a, a true statement of his um, his life. He was offered the curatorship of a museum at 10 years old. And I don't know that the museum actually knew that he was only 10, and his parents had to write back to them and say, like, I'm sorry, <laughs> he can't move there. He's only 10 years old. That's actually true. He was so brilliant that at 10 years old, he knew enough about, I think it was mollusks, that this museum offered him a curatorship. He was absolutely amazing. His writings are incredibly deep. I had spent, I remember I picked up this book thinking I was going to be, it was going to be quite simple to go through. And it was like the judgment of the child or something. I thought, how difficult could this book be? It ended up taking me several hours to pick apart one page. And it's not because he's obfuscatory in a way that like doesn't allow you the room to actually learn. It's that there is so much to learn on every page in every line that you just cannot 
you can't read those books in a breeze like you can in, well, even in some of the textbooks that we are given, uh, the textbook chapters that have his information sort of um, pasted in it. Elements of it, anyway, the kind of uh, boring elements. Um, It's not to say they're not important. Those are, you know, some core elements. But to round out your perspective, to actually get inside the head of Jean Piaget, you realize his genius in a way that you never had an appreciation for otherwise. And this is sort of slowly moving us toward my, my point here. When you actually read the theorists themselves, you understand them in a way that you did not otherwise. And when you start to uh, associate with the, their methodology, their, the way that their mind is actually operating in that space, you begin to see the tendrils of things that you've learned in the past begin to click. And sometimes it's profound. Now, there are, of course, thinkers that I think are genius, but I disagree with their, their conclusions and sometimes disagree with their methods. Like I made this podcast uh, episode last year on Boykin and Schoenhofer. I think Boykin and Schoenhofer's method and their presuppositions and their conclusions are wrong. I think they're using the wrong philosophical uh, lens. And I think that they are just incomprehensible and in a way that's actually like completely unhelpful for nursing to be honest. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they are absolutely brilliant people. And I have to be very careful in figuring out if I'm disagreeing because I'm being reactive and it's emotion-based and I just can't understand it because maybe I'm um, limited in some important way to to the point of my listener who asked this very astute question versus I've actually carefully thought about it and realized that I think that they're wrong objectively. And that's where I stand with folks like Boykin and Schoenhofer. However, there are people who preceded them who I would never do that. Uh, I would never kind of brush aside in a similar way um, after going through their stuff because it's profound and enlightening. And after doing the same thing, making sure that I'm not just biasing myself because it resonates with me, but objectively identifying the pieces which could be problematic for those people, and then still coming out on the other side thinking, not only are they a genius, but I actually think that that their conclusions are correct. Um, there have also been times where I have surprised myself at actually agreeing with things I didn't expect because of that kind of level of objectivity. Uh, and the example that comes to mind is Jean Watson. Now, Jean Watson is another living legend. I, I believe she's still alive today. Um, she's still writing uh, updated versions of her books on caring science or caritas. And, um, you know, the point about Jean Watson that, that is salient at this point is <laughs> I, I've always hated reading Jean Watson. And and it's not because she's not brilliant. I mean, the woman has a PhD in clinical psychology, and she's developed some interesting theories, but she just writes in a way that grates on me when I read it. I feel like, and I, please understand that I have great respect for Jean Watson. I think she's done amazing things, and she's a very important thinker. But when I read her work, there is a lack of succinctness and clarity in her writing that makes me think that she sits down with a thesaurus to write, and she just uses every synonym for the same word 
and just needlessly adds in things that that just is it becomes unhelpful and difficult to actually follow and then also uses words sometimes that like because I'm a methodologist and I focus on definitions and measurement I try to f- ask myself when I read like what does this actually mean so to the extent that sometimes I read her and I think this is meaningless actually however even though she's been historically challenging for me to read I can see her brilliance and I actually think she's right in terms of her caring science, advancing caring science. I think she's correct. So I this is an example of somebody whose method uh, has been a little bit nebulous to me, but the conclusion that has emerged from that methodology I think is right in an, an important fundamental way. So all of this is just to say the theorists themselves might be able to convince you. And I think the reason why they've convinced me is because I think the people that have historically told me uh, nursing theory should be taken out of nursing classes altogether, um, they're getting their, their education on theory from people without the passion for it. And they're not reading the original thinkers, partly because they don't have the time for it. It's actually really hard to find the time to do that. Um, but also, why would you want to do that if you're constantly told from your peers and some other people that nursing theory doesn't matter? And um, you have these bland lectures where you're like, why would I want to learn more about this? But the the nursing theorists themselves will actually revivify elements of that passion or perhaps even point to elements of yourself deep inside that, that hold uh, or that that might be um, resonant in, in some way for you as to kind of ignite a newfound passion for nursing theory. So when I think about my particular answer to this question, I think that the real answer for me is I see it as being a difficulty in the way it's taught, partly because there are there are few and far between individuals who are passionate about teaching nursing theory or are themselves nurse theorists. And there has historically been such a wide chasm between practice and theory that, you know, the only hope of bridging that has been research, but there's been this move to dissociate theory from research for so long that the chasm between theory and practice has widened, I believe. And I think that that, pra- that chasm has begun to widen. Um, truthfully, this is a tangential point, so I apologize, but if for those of you who might be interested, my personal belief is that when nurse theorists went from being Popperians to being Cunians, when they stopped viewing their scientific endeavors as... Um, being a, a place where falsifiability is important and verification is important to um, paradigmatic change is how you move things forward. As soon as that sort of took off and then people started um, jumping on the Heideggerian bandwagon, I think that actually created a wider chasm too. Um, but that's, that's a personal hypothesis that I have yet to vindicate and I could be very wrong, um, but it's my feeling. But either way, there are, um, there's a dearth 
of critical thinkers in the space of theory, because it's such a tiny minority of individuals, which means there's a dearth of great teachers in an area. Because really, if you think about it, your best teachers were always, for the most part, they were always people who had a, an intense passion for what they were doing. You know, um, many of us have taken statistics in the past, and we've all had those statistics professors who are just, oh gosh, they're just so difficult to to deal with. <laughs> like, it's hard to follow. You get lost, you get bored, and, and you have to refocus constantly, and then you don't know where you're at in the equation. And it's just, it's they don't bring things to life in a way that uh, makes connections for your for your daily life. But then, you know, I've had, and this is, I think, partly why I'm so interested in this space of quantitative methodology, is I've had graduate faculty members who have breathed life and a fire into my passion for statistics because of their ability to draw me into their stories, to paint their stories with a brush that livens it to a degree where I can see the relevance in my life. And it has changed me. And I think that that's possible with nursing theory as well. Um, but the most important thing that I want to say, and this is where I really, really think that people need to pay attention. This is why I think nursing theory is important. And I realize we're 28 minutes in and I'm just telling you this now. I was really trying to answer my, my listener's question uh, in the first part. But, but I want to say something else to kind of solidify the reason I think nursing theory is important, because that wasn't really their question. Their question for me was, how do I reconcile this potential contradiction? Um, and I think the reconciliation lies in uh, that it's it's not necessarily a, um, we understand it, we just disagree with it. I think it's actually, we don't fully comprehend because we're not being educated satisfactorily. Um, and I don't mean that as a, as a, as, as kind of a broadly generalizable criticism of all educators of nursing theory, because there's some that are phenomenal. Um, but what I mean is just generally, they're so hard to come by great, passionate, theoretical um, nurse educators, that most of us do not get the kind of exposure to what might have lit a passion for this within us. And then there are, of course, a fair number, of course, it's still a tiny minority compared to other fields like biomedicine. But there are a fair number of nurse research programs, but there, but how many of those programs actually take a theory-driven approach as compared to a sort of question-predicated approach devoid of theory? Now, that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down, but, but you know, for the sake of argument for now, let's just say it's a small group of people that still integrates theory into their research questions as well. And so the smaller and smaller that pool of individuals becomes, the smaller their sphere of influence becomes. And the more people are told this stuff is worthless because of that lack of exposure, lack of passion-driven education, then the more people just take on this social meme of nursing theory is useless. Now, is nursing theory applicable to your work as an advanced practice nurse? I think it is. I actually could make a compelling argument for why it is. However, um, I think it should be built in earlier than that. Um, but, but it continues to bring us back to this question of why is this important to you? 
Here's why it's important to me. Let's just say that we have, it's been a little longer than this, but let's say we have a hundred years of, uh, of nursing theory, of people putting forward profound ideas in nursing. And all the while, the field has been, the discipline has been evolving. And it's been slow growing, but until relatively recently, like perhaps the last couple of decades, nursing theory has really driven the discipline in an important way. But there's been a slow creep of viewing nursing as an auspice of biomedicine, as opposed to a discipline in and of itself with its own epistemology. Now, there are people that, and I, this again, this could be a different orthogonal episode, which we might do at another point, which is, what's the difference between epistemology and ontology? There are people that have said, and I quote, nursing has its own ontology, which is absurd, because ontology is what is real. <laughs> and your reality, there, there are philosoph philosophies which might argue that your reality could be distinct from, uh, from others. But to me, that's the wrong place. We, we should not be um, starting from that place. <laughs> like, if, you're, if your goal is to um, convince people that theory is important because we have our own nursing ontology, that's crazy. But epistemology is one thing. You know, what do we know? How can we know what we know? Whether it's possible to know anything at all that's unique to this space. These are crucial questions. Let's figure this out first before you start pretending that there are separate realities that we inhabit as nurses. Um, all that said, <laughs> we have a hundred years of this practice. And across those, we've had millions upon millions upon millions of nurses, right? How many nurse theorists are there? 15? 20? And like good ones. I'm not talking like somebody had an idea once. I'm talking about the people who wrote books on nursing theory. And not just the ones who compiled the thoughts of others, although they are, they're important, but the, the actual key thinkers themselves. They wrote books. They amassed a, a large volume of work in the space of nursing theory. And they became elevated out of tens of thousands of similar thinkers. You know, think about it this way. In the world of music, you have, you know, hundreds of millions of artists across all of human life. But how many are remembered? Five? So there's an exponential power law curve associated with the people who rise to the top. So there are millions of nurses across the, that 100 years, 150 years or whatever, of professional nursing. And in that time, about 15 people have risen to the top because of how profound their thoughts were. And they've written books upon books about it. Um, Margaret Newman um, has, uh, gosh, three or four books on Amazon right now that are still relevant and you can still purchase. And, and yet, you know, she gets like six pages in our nursing theory textbook, which just, again, just like Piaget, solidifies their ideas into a few lines. And then the authors will expand a little on what they think. And they're, you know, very intelligent people too, um, perhaps even brilliant people. But the more you kind of um, distill this down into sound bites, the more you leave out the substance of the way that, that these thinkers thought. 
Because the way they thought about these problems is their genius. It's the methodology behind how they do the things they did, the, the conclusions they came to, the way they arrived at those conclusions. So out of millions of nurses, a few people rose to the top. They wrote books upon books upon books that you haven't read. They are absolute geniuses that have changed the course of the field. And you, and I, forgive me, because I'm not talking about you, my listener, and I'm not talking about you, the audience as individuals. I'm just saying the broad you, let's say me, and I have the audacity to think that I can write them off without having read them, without actually understanding the way they thought, because of a social meme that says they're not important anymore. Even though the only reason I have a discipline at all to practice in is because of them. That is the most disrespectful and naive and childish thing I have ever heard. This is why nursing theory is important. The people who made it possible for us to do what we do, they deserve credit. And not just blind credit. You need to understand them. And if you want to write them off, you better fully understand what they're saying. Because if you don't understand it and you write it off, that's just being naive and uncritical and blind and unthinking. So why do I think nursing theory is important? Because it's the underpinning of our entire discipline. Now, over the last couple of decades, we've had people beginning to slowly peel those things away because they don't see them as important and maybe trying to have a kind of an a-theoretical thinking, which I'm going to talk about theory-based thinking versus a-theoretical thinking in nursing science and practice with Dr. Fawcett on Thursday, um, which is a, a line of uh, inquiry that she's put forth over the last couple of decades and has actually written a few, a number of papers on. Um, but the sort of a-theoretical thinking is chipping away at the predicate of what makes nursing nursing. Now, if you were to ask me, well, does that mean all nursing theories are valid? Hell no. There are plenty of nursing theories that are silly. But the thinkers themselves were not. And if you're going to determine that they're silly, you need to have understood them first. You can't write them off without actually thinking them through. Because what does that make you? And why do you think that you, or I should say me, why, why would I think that I am the arbiter of that knowledge in such a way that without even having that knowledge, I can write it off? What makes me so bold to be that arbiter? Why am I special? in that way. And of course I'm not, and neither are you, and neither are any of us. Like it might be the case that you're just so profoundly brilliant that you can write off the most brilliant people in our field. But what are the odds that that's true? And why should you not take them seriously and actually pay attention to what they had to say? Because we couldn't be here without them. And I want to say one more thing about the psychological theorists, because I think it's pertinent to the nursing theorists, in part because a lot of our nursing theorists, I don't know, don't know if you know this, but a lot of our nursing theorists are uh, psychiatric nurses or nurse practitioners. Um, 
or clinical nurse specialists or psychologists. Like Jean Watson's not a nurse scientist per se, even though I think she would argue she is a nurse theorist. Um, but she actually got a PhD in clinical psychology. And a number of other nursing theorists did as well. They have a counseling or, P or clinical psychology PhD background. Um, some of them are sociologists. A lot of them are health policy folks. And um, in any case, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's relevant because the way that psychological theorists have built um, discipline-specific domain knowledge in their field has been similar in process and style to the way that our nurse theorists leaders have done so as well. And, you know, if we think about somebody like Sigmund Freud, Sigmund Freud had his problems, and he was a product of his day. And it's clear to those of us in the present day that some of his ideas about penis envy and things like this are just silly. Um, although I, I think we should still be careful about throwing them out as being just absurd without understanding first what he meant by those things, like in, a, in an actual deep way. But I think we would all agree that they're wrong, right? But the genius of Sigmund Freud is taken for granted. The idea that we have a cognitive unconscious, the idea that we have a, the crushing force of the superego as being the social mind around us that creates a conscience within us, the idea of a, the sort of um, Antarctic force of the id, that, that kind of natural instinct pressing up against that societal suppression and oppression. Um, these things are the genius of Freud. Freud was an absolute genius. Absolute genius. But the, the genius is just taken for granted. It's not even attributed to him anymore, which it, it of course ought to be, but the whole idea that we even have an unconscious to draw from or to think through or to study was Freud's discovery. So in nursing... The idea that we go into a patient's room and we do safety checks first. The idea that we pay attention to the other individuals in the room. The idea that we maintain hygiene and all of these things. Whose ideas do you think those were? Because it's not just nobody's. And it wasn't just the uh, slow um, kind of a mass of um, thinking across, like, uh, in a way, maybe... What emerged in Florence Nightingale was this slow-growing um, idea that was being built across, uh, you know, the different nurses that came before her. But this idea of environmental health is Florence Nightingale's contribution. It's her genius. It's not her only genius. She was also a biostatistician who changed the face of public health. So public health is partly what it is because of Florence Nightingale. And so she changed two separate disciplines with her genius. But we don't think it's important to pay homage to Florence Nightingale. And there are uh, another, uh, what's a good one? Hildegard Peplau and her interpersonal theory of nursing. Hildegard Peplau had a, a graduate training in psychology, and she was brilliant, and she was a psychiatric nurse. And, but we take it for granted now that nursing is an interpersonal, dynamic process. But whose idea was that? It wasn't solely Hildegard's, but a good portion of it was. She formulated the actual um, coherent idea and put it forth as a theory. 
Virginia Henderson's idea of, of us um, embodying per, a person's self-care, uh, Dorothy Orham's self-care deficit theory, the idea that what we're doing is trying to aid a patient in taking care of themselves again because of a deficit in their own knowledge. These things are just taken as uh, just uh, like they exist from a void. They're just a, an integrated part of our profession that we just take for granted. But they didn't come from nothing. They came from these thinkers. So they deserve us to pay homage to them. However, it's not sufficient just to think back and be like, oh, these were the good old days. Thank you for this. Now we can go about our day-to-day work because we still have development that needs to occur. This is why nursing theory is important to me. So I would like to sum it up because I'm coming up on 45 minutes, but that if I were to answer the first question again, it's we need better educators who are more passionate about nursing theory in this space, to, who, who actually understand it. Um, and partly the only way we're going to get that is if we actually have them pay more attention to a theory-driven research in their scientific practice and help us integrate it better into practice uh, in and of itself at the discipline-specific practice level, um, but in a way that actually resonates with nurses. And this speaks to my my listener's real point about the contra- the potential contradiction, which is we need to be able to make it relevant um, and we need to make it uh, concretizable in a way that, you know, we still maintain the the epistemological uniqueness of our field, which is discipline-specific domain knowledge, while also making it pertinent and salient and relevant to the practicing nurses on the ground. The practice of nursing, per se, has to be lifted up, and it has to be um, helpful to them. So that's a bridge that needs to be, well, that's a gap that needs to be bridged, rather, still. And I do, I do think that's true. But for me, I think that theory is important because it, it is the fundament of our field. But we need to understand that we are not so special snowflakes as to be able to just look at that hundred-year history and think about the millions of nurses that came before us and think about the 15 or so that whose brilliance rose them to the top of that field over millions of people whose ideas shaped our entire discipline and write them off in a naive way. That is just unacceptable. So that's one thing. Another thing is that it is possible, as I will talk to Jacqueline Fawcett about, to build a research enterprise that is theory-driven. In fact, um, one of the reasons I want to talk to Jacqueline is because she actually has published back in the 90s, in the early 2000s, she published um, peer-reviewed papers on the ways that you can incorporate the Betty Newman systems model into your research, Um, the ways that you can include an adaptive um, model like Sister Callista Roy's model into your research paradigm. And there's a number of really high-level, high uh, thoughtful nurse scientists doing work on translational pain, because that's an area that I care about, who are brilliant. And um, the sort of self-care deficit model uh, is something, Dorothy Oram's model, is um, guiding elements of their their research enterprise, and whether it's uh, overtly 
stated or not. It just happens to be a fact. Um, but we need to make these things articulated concretely because they are the thing that keeps us going. It's the thing that breathes life into our field. What is our practice without research? Well, nothing. It's somebody else's practice. But what is our research if it's not theory-driven with our own epistemological knowledge? I don't know. <laughs> Do you? Do you feel confident enough in yourself as a unitary being? As a, as a, a genius unto yourself? So confident that you can brush off the most incredible thinkers in our entire discipline over a 150-year history without having read their stuff. Thanks for listening to this episode of Clinical Appraisal. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share this channel with your friends in healthcare and review the show on your favorite listening app. If you'd like to donate to support the show, please visit paypal.me forward slash clinical appraisal. And if you'd like to ask a question or share a comment, or if I've reviewed a paper you are an author on and you would like to join me for an episode, please email me at clinicalappraisal at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll join me again next time.